Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me today. Today we're going to be in Lesson 19 of our Wilderness Man at the Jordan series. We have Lesson 19, and then we'll have one more lesson in Lesson 20, and then that will conclude this particular series. But we've been studying about John the Immerser or John the Baptist, and we've looked at his role in God's redemptive plan. We've covered many topics thus far in the first 18 lessons. And so now as we wrap it up, we want to look at a few final points that are key in regard to John's ministry. Jesus witnessed and affirmed John's calling and ministry in a few different ways. In the last lesson, we considered one of those ways when we talked about menorah, or the lamp that was shining brightly. Today, I want to consider another one in the topic of might. Today, we're going to look at the topic of might when we look at John the Immerser as we draw to a close and we see one of the ways Jesus affirms John's ministry. In Matthew chapter 11, I want to begin the reading in verse 7 and read through verse 15. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Next, I want to read in Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 through 13. Matthew chapter 17. In this passage, we've had what we call the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus has just been revealed as the king in all of his glory on the top of this mountain with Peter, James, and John witnessing that. Moses and Elijah have joined him for that moment, and God has spoken concerning his son to these disciples. So beginning in Matthew 17, beginning with verse 10, let's read a few verses. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Lastly, let's read Mark chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. 
And they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. So in these scriptures, Jesus is speaking of John in a variety of ways, all that are affirming of John's ministry. So I want to go back and look at a few of these and bring in some extra scriptures that also identify and speak to these elements as well. So first of all, Jesus questions them about their curiosity with John and their inquiring of him. What did you go out to see? Then he lists several things. A reed shaken by the wind. Let's look in First Kings to try to understand what Jesus might be referring to. In First Kings chapter 14, verse 14 through 16 says this, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. So in this case, the Lord is defining for us a reed shaken by the wind. So in other words, he's saying, did you go out to see John as if he were idolatrous and sinful like Jeroboam, who was struck by God himself? God said he was going to strike Israel as a reed shaken by the wind. That was the case in Jeroboam's house because of their continued evil. So this was a prophecy on Israel given by Ahijah to Jeroboam's wife for Jeroboam. So the Lord is reminding them, Are you? did you go out as if John were some idolatrous, sinful person that God himself was going to strike a reed shaken by the wind? Then he says, did you go out to see him because his clothing is of soft garments? In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, the king has inquired of demons, of false gods, and so Elijah is sent to deliver a message for the king. And then beginning in verse 5, let's read this. The king had sent them out. They come back early. In verse 5, it says this. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? Verse 8, So they answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So these soft garments reference these camel's hair, etc. And Elijah's clothing was the same. So John also, if you'll remember, would have been a hairy man. The word was given from Gabriel to Zacharias 
John's father in Luke chapter 1, verse 13 through 17, that John was to be, in essence, a Nazarite. He was not to eat or drink anything strong. No cutting of his hair, etc. was part of the Nazarite vow. You can find that in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, and an example of that in Judges chapter 13, verse 5, regarding Samson, who was a Nazarite consecrated son. Also, in Zechariah chapter 13, beginning in verse 2, reading through verse 5, we find this. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet, I'm a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. So what Zechariah is prophesying here about is that this robe of coarse hair was a robe known for a prophet. Now, in this case, he's speaking of false prophets, and they will be condemned and they will be dealt with. But the point is that the robe of coarse hair was one that was known for a prophet to wear. So John comes with clothing of soft garments, the same as Elijah, the type of clothing that was known for a prophet to wear. So then Jesus begins to confirm that John was, in fact, a prophet. He was a true prophet. He was not a false prophet. But Jesus affirms John is a prophet. Even though John had mused and questioned about Jesus, remember, we looked at that in the episode called Musing. And in Luke chapter 7, we see the approximate time of this questioning of John connected to Jesus raising the widow's son in none and the fame of Jesus spreading from there. Jesus had issued the warning to John, don't be offended. You see, all of the things that the prophets have said are coming to pass but it's not working out like you thought it would. So John, don't be offended. Don't stumble at me. And he was reminding John, even in that warning, to go back to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. Because in that prophecy, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah is going to be a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling. Isaiah had warned about it and said, don't be offended. Even in this, Jesus is reminding John of Isaiah's prophecy and encouraging him to believe and not stumble, not falter. And even more, he says that John was a prophet and even more than a prophet. He was also the messenger that was to be sent before the Messiah, the last of the official prophets before Jesus. Jesus even declared him to be the greatest of men of God before him. He was the last of the prophets, officially. All others had prophesied until John, we were told in these passages in the Gospels. John was the last one before Jesus himself. 
And we know that Jesus himself is the end of the law. Its goal, its aim came in Jesus, and John was the last before Jesus. So Jesus affirms that John came in the power, the might, and the spirit of Elijah. Jesus affirms him as being Elijah, not the real Elijah, but a type of Elijah. Jesus himself verified that John is a type of Elijah. Even the religious leaders wondered about John. Let's read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabarbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders asked him, Are you Elijah? Why would they ask him that? Because the Old Testament had prophesied Elijah will come. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 through 6 verifies that clearly. And in the prophet Malachi, we find out that God is telling them, Elijah will come. Even in their Passover seders that they have done for 3,500 years now, they have always included Elijah. There's a place and a setting for Elijah. And they go to the, they have a little child go to the door to see if Elijah has come yet. They're expecting Elijah to come. So in those days, the religious leaders went to John and said, are you Elijah? We know the Bible says, we know the scriptures say he's coming. Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Now, Jesus said that he was the Elijah that was to come in the sense of the type of Elijah. So there's no contradiction here, but he knows he's not the real Elijah. They asked him, they said, are you the prophet? The prophet was prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and 18, as one who will come in the future. There was a coming one referring to the Messiah also, that was called the prophet. And they knew that. So they asked him, are you the prophet that Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18, that will come? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses is writing and he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more lest I die. 
And then in verse 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them of all that I command him. So this is speaking of the Messiah. It's another office. It's another fulfillment for Messiah. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be one like them. He's going to be Jewish. He's going to come from among their brethren. He's going to have and speak the words of God and everything that the Lord commanded to be spoken. In Luke chapter 7, verse 16 through 31, we read another account about this when John is asked. And you can see, especially in verse 31, the Pharisees' attitude and their pious self-righteousness when they've asked him this question. So they ask him, are you the prophet? John says, no, I'm not that one. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that prophesied prophet from Moses. Then they ask him plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? The one that was prophesied by Moses, the one that was prophesied in the Psalms, the one that was prophesied in the prophets. And they all knew that all of these three were prophesied in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, that these would be coming. Two of them referred to the Messiah, the prophet and the Christ, and the other was Elijah. And so Jesus affirms that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but the real Elijah is yet to come. Jesus only calls him the Elijah who was to come at that time, but he verifies the real Elijah is still coming in the future. And that is true even now. And we see that in Revelation chapter 11, when that will come to pass. John's ministry was to fulfill the word from Malachi 4, verse 5 through 6, as will Elijah's incoming days. Turn the children to the fathers, turn the fathers to the children. Now this has application to families. Oh yes, it does. But the fathers also in the Old Testament referred to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in other words, John's ministry is going to reveal and bring back the patriarchs and the covenant of Abraham to the people and bring the people back to their fathers, back to the scriptures, back to the God of their fathers and the Messiah whom he was sending. He even came dressed similar to Elijah, as we saw in those earlier scriptures. He came in the might and power of Elijah, fulfilling the prophecy given even to his father, Zacharias. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was the prophetic word delivered by Gabriel to Zacharias in the temple when God sent Gabriel to Zacharias in the temple and gave him the prophetic word about John's birth. John came in the might and power of Elijah. He was bold and tenacious, just like Elijah was. He was loyal just like Elijah was. He was strong in spirit and in the word of God, just like Elijah was. He even spoke against the religious leaders and King Herod 
as Elijah had spoken against Ahab and Jezebel. Jesus says that John was the greatest of men born of women at that time, not including Jesus, of course. In this passage, Jesus is referring to those who were mere men, mere humans, in the sense that they had both a human father and a human mother. Notice John's time also was a demarcation point for the kingdom of God. In those passages that we read, we see from that point forward that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force, it said in those scriptures. John's time and ministry was a demarcation point for the kingdom of God. Now, it mentions that the kingdom of God suffers violence since the days of John and the violent take it by force. It's actually the Greek word harpazo here, which is also the word that we understand to reveal to us about the rapture of the church. It means literally a snatching or a catching away. It's as if it were a violent or sudden action with force and power. Used in several New Testament places, translated as caught or catch, pluck, take away or force. It suggests a very sudden, powerful snatching, as if just in the nick of time. So this is what it's talking about when it says that it suffers violent, the violent take it by force. It's seized or captured. What could this mean in reference to the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says, beginning with John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is suffering this violence and the violent are taking it by force. It's talking about being seized or overpowered by force, being rushed, pressed earnestly forward and applying force. This is what that term is meaning when it says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent or the forceful in eager pursuit seize it by force. In other words, they seize it with avidity and eagerness. It also can mean to convey away suddenly or to transport hastily. It seems to me to be saying that beginning with John, the common people who would believe the good news grabbed hold of it with eagerness and are eagerly pursuing it and transporting it for others. They are pressing earnestly forward and they are conveying it to others. It's talking about a serious and eager movement happening now because Jesus is now at hand. He's on the scene. Messiah has now come. It is now time. And he talked about how it, this was the Elijah that had come and is now gone, talking about John the Baptist as a type of Elijah. And he says they did what they wished to him. They did what they determined. They killed him. John had been killed by this time. By the time we get to this Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is coming down from the hill and is explaining to Peter, James, and John about Elijah's yet coming in the future, but that John was a type of Elijah. By this time, they had already killed John the Baptist. And notice it says, as was written of him in Luke chapter 1 verse 13 through 19, and in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80. We see Zechariah's prophecy of John. We see Gabriel's prophecy to Zechariah, the father of John, 
and we see Zechariah's prophetic word of his son, John. He would go before Jesus prior to in every way, including in Jesus' death, that John would die before Jesus died. He would fulfill Malachi 4, 5, and 6 in the spirit of Elijah, because he would turn many to the Lord, converting them, turning them back to the Lord through the baptism of repentance. And he would prepare the way for Yeshua, the Messiah, through his baptism of repentance. He would give them knowledge of salvation through the remission of their sins, meaning he would be bringing that baptism of repentance. He would bring the good news of Jesus to the people by introducing Jesus to the people. He would make ready a people prepared for the Lord, insinuating that John is not going to be in the number of people prepared for the Lord, meaning he's not going to live through Christ's official life and death, but others would. He was laying the groundwork, and then his work would be done. He was going to be called the prophet of the highest, the prophet that was speaking on God's behalf regarding Jesus. And so these were words even through Zechariah concerning his own son that did come to pass. These were prophecies from God. Let's examine a few of John's prophecies about Jesus specifically as he fulfilled that role of being coming in the spirit and power of Elijah and being a prophet like Elijah, the greatest and the last of the official prophets, her Jesus himself. So in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, John the Baptist is speaking here to the Pharisees and to the people. And he says this, beginning in verse 10, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John prophesies a few different things here about the coming Messiah, Jesus. He says that he's the one holding the axe, or in essence, He's like the lumberjack, and he's going to cut down trees who do not bear fruit. Now, in the Old Testament, there had been many prophecies about Israel and about coming days when Israel was planted and then God planted them like a vineyard. God planted them like an orchard, and he expected in coming days to find fruit. Jesus even talked about that in a parable or two that he gave. So in Jesus' time, he comes along and he does not find fruit in those that were entrusted to bear the fruit. So he curses the fig tree, for instance. And he spoke to them and said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you, from you religious Jews who are not bearing fruit from it, and I'm going to plant it and give it to the church that I'm going to build, made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, and they will bear its fruit. 
Jesus even said, I'm going to take it and give it to a nation that will bear its fruit. Now, we are not a nation in the sense politically in the earth, but we are in the earth, but not of the earth. And by the time of Paul, we see Paul referring to it in Romans chapter 9 through 11 as the olive tree. And he talks about how there were branches that were broken off of the original tree. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah and were not bearing fruit. But those branches can be even temporarily broken off because God is able to graft them in again, Paul says. And part of that we're living in today, and it's called the Messianic Movement. God is bringing Jewish people back to the original olive tree where he is the root of it. And all Gentile believers are grafted in to the original olive tree. Praise be to God. But John's prophecy has come to pass. Jesus has cut down the trees that do not bear fruit. John prophesied that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, just after Jesus himself had prophesied about it as well, when he spoke to them about sending the promise of the Father. The winnowing fan that John speaks of here is concerning the cleaning and purging of his threshing floor. Now, what in the world does that mean? What was John prophesying about there? We have to go back and understand the threshing floor. The threshing floor was found, the original one was found in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, the original one that John is speaking of here. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and in 2 Samuel chapter 24, both of these give us the account of when David goes to buy this threshing floor. And this is the Temple Mount. This is the exact Temple Mount on which Solomon builds the temple. We read that in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. And it is Mount Moriah. It was a threshing floor. David bought it, dedicated it to the Lord, and it became the temple mount for the first and the second temple. And so Jesus will purge thoroughly his threshing floor, John says. And he did. There were two occasions in Jesus' ministry. One was early in his ministry, and the other was in the final week of his ministry where Jesus fulfilled John's prophecies. And he did cleanse the temple when he went in and he had zeal of the Lord. And he went in and he drove the money changers out, purging and cleansing his threshing floor, the temple mount, just like John prophesied. I have an episode in the archives that you can look up if you're interested. It's called The Zeal of Jesus the zeal of Jesus. And in that episode, I go much more into detail about this threshing floor, about why Jesus did what he did and why it was because of who he was. And so you can find that episode, the zeal of Jesus in the archives to understand much more about Jesus cleansing the temple. John definitely fulfilled all the prophetic words spoken of him witnessed and testified by Jesus, prepared the way for Messiah's work, and operated in might by the power of the Holy Spirit who had baptized him. 
the baptizer himself had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit ever since he was a babe in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother. And he operated a successful, though short and mighty ministry before the Lord. Jesus' affirmation and testimony of John honored him greatly and established him as a mighty servant in God's kingdom and in God's redemptive plan. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for the final episode of this series and for other messages and series brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.